Hello everyone, my name is Taylor and I'm here with another episode of Not Your Everyday Crime Show. Today I'm going to be talking about Ching Shi, the most successful pirate in history. So I'm going back in time again with this week's episode, but I wanted to find different things in history that were interesting that are outside of the United States when I can, because typically you only learn about things in history revolved around the country that you're in. So I wanted to incorporate some crimes from other countries and other areas of the world, as well as things that happened in the past, because there are some really gnarly things that have happened in the past. And before I go into today's episode, I want to add a little disclaimer. I've tried recording this episode about five, six times at this point, and it was mostly because I've had little flubs with speaking, because I'm not the best speaker, And I just want to throw that in here today that I want this podcast to be casual and to be a conversation and storytelling to you guys about cool things in history. So I will mess up. I will have to restart words, but I feel like that's more personal and you guys can get to know me and I will work on it as time goes on. So with that being said, there you go. Immediately did it. With that being said, I'm going to start the story about Ching Shi. So before I begin, you'll notice that her name is going to change multiple times throughout her life. And that has to do with tradition in China. So when she was born in 1775 in a Guangdong province, she was actually born Shi Yang, where she became a madam in a brothel and went by Shi Yang Ku. Until in 1801, she met and married Chang the first, who was a pirate from a well-known family of pirates whose traces can go back to the 17th century. At this point, her name changes. She becomes known as Chang Wan Sao. And so that is why I mentioned the whole name change thing, because her name has changed already. So when it came to this wedding, there are many different reasons why people think that this happened. Some say that they were in love. Some say it was more of a business deal. You know, that's up to speculation. It's not, there's not, that's not so much in historical record. But one thing was for certain is that she was a very smart woman. She knew how to play the field and knew how to extract information from her clients who she can then use against them. Since, you know, at the time, visiting brothels and stuff was illegal and frowned upon so she can use this information she got as a way to hold power over others which would be seen as something very valuable to a pirate (laughs) a person who is a pirate and in charge of large fleets so that was definitely at least one of the traits that he saw in her now one thing i'm going to reiterate throughout this whole tale is that a jingxi is very smart b she has she's a born leader she has those characteristic traits of a leader and the ability to manipulate and plan and have things go her way and thinking ahead of like where she is at currently in life. So when she agreed to this marriage, she wanted 50% control and share over everything that Cheng had. So all of the fleets he had already, any business deals, any money, all of it was being split 50-50 with her making her an equal partner and leader in his industry. And during this time, they met Chang Pao. So there are a lot of points of contention about Chang Pao. Um, 
first off, he was a teenager originally when they've all met, and he had been captured by Chang the First. But over time, he recognized that the teenager's potential for leadership and decided to incorporate him into the pirate ranks. Now, here's where things get a little bit, like, all over the place from what I've researched. So, they adopted Chang Pao as their stepson, making him his full legal heir. But that is only what it says in some of the research that I've looked into, adopted as their stepson. Other sources say that uh, Chang Pao and Chang the First were actually lovers. Which confuses people because they're like, well, if you were lovers, why did you adopt him? But in Eastern cultures, adult adoption is very different than what you think of in the West. So when you adopt someone as a West, in the West, it's pretty much like, all right, I'm taking this child as my own. This is my child. And you would never have a lover, you shouldn't, with someone you've adopted. In this case, it's more like creating a business connection. So, you know, like you said, at this point, Chang Pao now becomes their heir. Because at this point, they haven't had children together. And now this guy is going to be their heir because they've adopted him. It's kind of like why in some cases you may, and this is a stretch, but hear me out. When you have people who, you know, go into the military, for example, in the United States, it's very common for people to get married very quickly. Reason being is that then that person acquires the like different financial gains or health benefits, et cetera, et cetera, in case that uh, significant other passes during the war. So in this case, adopting them is basically saying, hey, you are a part of my family in terms of the fact that there is a kinship and that there is a business of some sort happening. So in this case, this is not the same. So you know, for those that freak out because I said lover, it differs. So, either, so you know, there's no for sure about were they lovers, were they not. History has a habit of hiding times where there might have been, you know, non-heterosexual relationships in history, even though they did occur. So there, that's also an option. The fact that it did happen was hidden. Who knows? All we know for a fact is that Chang Pao was there he essentially becomes an heir to their enterprise. By 1804, which is three years after their marriage, both Chang Pao, Ching Shi, and Cheng the First have united multiple fleets into one giant group of, consisting of over 70,000 men and 400,000 sailing vessels. That's a lot. That's insane that they had that many people under under one group at that time and listening to them. Because typically you think of pirates and they're just like plundering and stealing and only caring about themselves. So how do you control such a large group? I'll go into that further. But overall, this fleet was separated into six smaller subsets that were based on color. So blue, red, green, etc. And the most powerful one of them was the Red Flag Fleet. So, unfortunately, on November 16th, 1807, Chang I died in Vietnam at the age of 39. So now, 
her name changes again. Her name is now Ching Shi, which translates to the widow of Ching. However, that being said, although her name literally translates to widow of this guy, her legacy, as I will go on to state, will far exceed her husband's. Would that have changed if he had lived? Who knows? It would have been kind of crazy to see what would have happened if they, if he hadn't passed. But at this moment, he has passed. Immediately after her now late husband's passing, she began to maneuver her way into his leadership position. She didn't want to just be, you know, tossed aside, all right, moving on to the next heir. She's not going to be involved, etc., etc. That was not how she functioned. So in 1809... She began cultivating relationships with people, and I don't mean like like physical relationships, I mean, you know, business partners, rekindling friendships, etc., etc. And yeah, there is some romance involved in one of them, which I'll talk about. But she was very smart. The, one of the first things she did was she sought out her late husband's family. Because as I've said before, they were from a long-standing family of pirates. Like, they were well-known. So having them on her side, and, you know, the fact that, you know, hey, she was married to Chang the First, she's family, um, she's continuing on his legacy and making it her own, and getting their support would be very helpful. So she specifically reached out to Chang's nephew, Ching Pao Yang, and his cousin's son, Jingqi. Another thing she did was, as I mentioned, those all of those fleets, there were about six of them, there were each one had a captain. And originally those captains were loyal to Jang first. And Jingxi wanted to make sure that those relations would stay, because you don't want the people who are in charge of your fleets questioning her for maybe being a female. For maybe now that he's passed, they don't care anymore. So she really built upon their loyalties to make sure that those captains that stayed and were loyal were in charge, solidifying her control over all the different fleets. And the last thing she did was she formed an affair with Chang Pao, her adopted quote unquote stepson. And the reason behind this was because then it was creating bigger ties to Chang the first because this technically is his heir to everything and being with them makes sense because then it like it makes the bond stronger by the fact that you've stayed in the family and you now have this guy as your male partner who can be a leader and would also be loyal to her because you know adopted and then other pirates would also accept her because now, look, she has a husband or a, a person she has with that's this guy's son. Now, this happens frequently in history all over the world. Um, King Henry VIII, I believe his first wife, if I recall correctly, um, she was actually married to his brother who passed. And then she married King Henry VIII. So... That can happen quite often where people get remarried into families. So that's not completely out of the ordinary. But now she has complete control over all of her late husband's fleets and vessels. She has a new 
boyfriend, lover, husband, and all of the captains are now following her. Now, the one big thing that she is known for is this code of laws that she creates. So in these code of laws, there are some very specific things involving women that other code of laws by other pirates don't have. You know, and this kind of makes sense. She's a woman in charge of these things and women captives were not always treated the best and women were considered normally bad luck on ships. So fighting against that, it kind of makes sense she would have specific codes in her code of laws that were a little bit different for women. But the biggest I'm going to talk about the biggest four four or five parts of the code of laws which basically involve around prisoners and loot. So anyone giving their own orders besides ones from Ching Shi or if you disobey orders given to you, you're beheaded on the spot. So they did not take, you know, ignoring orders lightly. Like you were done. That's it immediately. No one could steal from the public fund or villages that supplied the pirates. So as the pirates, they would go along the coast and they would pillage and plunder and they would have kind of bases in different villages along the coast. And because these villagers, although they were doing it against their will, I will add, although the villagers were doing it against their will, they were offering supplies or taxes or funds of some sort to the pirates. So you were not allowed to steal from them. Like they're already supplying the group as a whole, you do not steal from them. And you also do not steal from a public fund. So that is similar to the goods and services given by the villagers. This is a collection of funds, of money that goes from the different plunders that basically keep the whole ship everything running. So anytime you had goods like physical goods taken, it had to be presented to someone to look over. It would then be d- distributed by a leader of the fleet. The person who found it would get 20% and the rest would go to the public fund because the whole thing was is hey, you found stuff, so we're going to give you some of it. But we got to make this go to the whole. Same thing with money. Now, when it comes to those special rules for female captives that I mentioned, they're also a little strange. They're not quite, at least they don't, they don't quite make sense to me. I'll, I'll just be honest. So one of them was the standard practice was normally to release women. You know, typically, you know, if you're there pillaging and plundering, typically pirates will like kill the men and like kidnap or ransom the fem- the women and children, but typically they release them. You know, sometimes they don't, but typically they do. Now, here is where the rules switch a little bit. So sometimes pirates would take beautiful captives and make them be concubines or wives. Now, if you were one of Ching Shi's pirates, if you took one of these women to keep, quote unquote, to keep, because it's not like a lot of them were like willing. There were probably some who were, but there were definitely those who were like, uh, no, I don't want to be here. If you did that, you had to be faithful to her. So it was one of those things where it's like, all right, you're being kind of crappy by kidnapping in cases and forcing this person to be with you and be here. So you better at least be faithful to her. You can't go around with other people. 
Um, there were, of course, exceptions to that rule. Um, there have been things in my research that said that there were captains who had more than one wife, but you were to be faithful to them. So, the, and then the other rule, which I'm going to put a warning here that I'm going to be using a word that might be sensitive to some of my listeners. So I'm giving a fair warning is that oftentimes pirates would rape female captives. And if you did this under Ching Shi's rule, you were put to death because captives there a lot of the time they were holding them for ransom. You know, they were holding them to get something that would then benefit the whole. So was there, you know, a moral thing like she's a woman and, you know, she doesn't wouldn't want them being treated like that because she knows as a woman who knows or it could be because of the fact that hey we're using this person as ransom for the good of the whole to get money for us so you doing that does not benefit us you know you're causing issues so you're killed but here's where it gets weird again so if the pirates had consensual relations with the captives so that means in this case the captives were okay with it like maybe they wanted to be a pirate uh, maybe they found the pirate good looking. I don't know. If they can, were, it was consensual, the pirate was beheaded and the woman was sent overboard with cannonballs attached to them. So killing them as well. I don't know why. I can't think of why that would be a thing. And then I have one theory. So this is a theory, not, you know, fact or anything. But a theory is that you have this person as a captive and you don't want a bond to form between anyone like you're going to be ransoming this person or selling them you're going to be that person's going to be going because they offer funds to the group so you shouldn't get close with them but i'm also thinking it has to do the fact that it could be a way of like the captive maybe trying to finagle their way into the group to prevent what's happening or to like convert or to maybe you know cause some issues is maybe what i'm thinking but again i'm not sure this is all hypothetical so punishments for first-time offenders of withholding treasure were severely whipped so you do it for the first time you steal a little bit of the of the goods you get whipping if you withhold large amounts of treasure, or if you keep, for some reason, repeating the offense of withholding small amounts, you'll be put to death. You don't steal from a pirate. Kind of obvious. Violations of other areas of the code could be punished with flogging, quartering, etc. Now, deserters had a very special punishment. People who deserted or left without permission. <laughs> had their ears chopped off, and then were paraded around their squadron. Doesn't say on whether or not those people were alive or not. After the fact of having their ears chopped off, I'd imagine it'd be excruciatingly painful. So I, you would expect to probably be killed or die from it, but it doesn't say. But you're going to be paraded around and made a point of if you do that. So to talk about a little bit of... Ching Shi's career as a pirate. In 1808, the Chinese government tried to destroy her fleet in a series of battles. 
because that was one point of contention throughout her whole pirate career is that the government was fighting against her because they don't want pirates and then there were also other pirates you know there are other groups of pirates that want those villages to give them loot that they want to take ching shi's goods and loot so not only is she fighting the chinese government she's also fighting other pirate fleets in fact there were some people who used to be a part of her group that left and then would try to fight her however one thing that kept happening is that every single time this happened every time ching shi came up against the chinese government she would win there was actually a time where not only did she win she managed to pillage and take over the government ships that were attacking hers so she was a very ballsy woman and for years this fleet under her rule could not be defeated by anyone by chinese officials by bounty hunters from other countries no one however all good things must come to an end and her final battle occurs in the battle of Chek Lapkok in 1810 i apologize for my pronunciation where she surrendered to the portuguese navy on january 21st so upon surrendering at the time china had a i'm just going to call it a special where if you surrendered if you were a pirate and you surrendered you were given amnesty like if you stopped your ways as they're trying to in- enforce new laws and rules if you stop if you stop and if you surrender more often than not you were given amnesty and free to go you just couldn't be a pirate anymore so she decided to take up that offer she had seen as they say the writing on the walls that other pirates would just be going down in a blaze of glory and death and she didn't want that you know she was happy with her life she did not want to die she however she wasn't just going to be pardoned and that's it you know okay i'm going to be back to nothing no she which is why i mention over and again so smart must have had huge charisma because not only was she pardoned for her life as a pirate so she, she's probably killed plundered done tons of things even to the chinese government itself and she's pardoned but not only that she actually negotiated for herself and her husband/affair mate have was a weird way to say it chung po to retain 120 ships to be used as employment which they would later use for things like the salt trade and other areas but they literally got to keep some of their ships <laughs> that was one thing that i find insane they were allowed to keep some of their ships and some of their loot and another thing as i mentioned she had about 70,000 pirates when you combine all of her fleets but her specific fleet she was able to talk most of them out of being punished in any capacity so from what i found the amnesty for her fellow pirates only 60 of them ended up banished 151 exiled which i don't know what the difference between banished and exiled is but and only 126 put to death so that is 
about 300, guesstimating 300, out of her fleet of 17,310 pirates. So around 17,000 of her pirates were able to walk scot-free because of her negotiations, which is insane. Another thing is she actually arranged for her boyfriend. I'm just going to say boyfriend. It doesn't say whether it says at some point they were married. I don't know when they were married. So I'll say boyfriend, husband, um, Chang Pao to actually be given a position in the Chinese like government and military. So he actually becomes a captain in the Navy. So this guy who's been fighting this Navy this whole time and destroying their ships is now a captain in the Navy. So that must have been very interesting for the people who had to work underneath him at that time. And then the last thing that they did was requested the government to officially recognize her as the wife of Chang, Chang Pao. So normally, like I said, she her name was Ching Shi, which is the widow of Ching. And typically, at this time, you weren't allowed to remarry if you were a widow. You were a widow, and that's that. And that is why her name was Ching Shi. She is a widow. However, she requested the government to officially recognize her as Chang Po's wife. And they granted that. So now she was officially with him, which gave different rights underneath the law, which would be very useful for the future. In 1813, Ching Shi would actually give birth to a son with Chang Pao named Cheng Yu Lin, and later on a daughter. So about 11 years later, Chang Pao unfortunately dies at sea in 1822. And after that, the passing of her second husband, she moves to Macau and opens up a gambling house where she's also involved with salt trade. So she is just running all kinds of business. You know, enjoys having men, but she doesn't need a man, as you can see. She also served as an advisor in the British, fighting the British army during the Opium War in 1839. So pirate becomes advisor to a war. And lastly, in 1844, she dies in bed, surrounded by her family at the age of 69. Not many pirates can say that they could do that. Like, they either died in a blaze of glory, guns drawn, killed. Either that, or, you know, they are caught, arrested, and put to death. Or, they are pardoned, but then they live, like, a destitute life. That is the common way of the pirate, like, how it ends. Not many pirates can say they were super successful through their whole pirate life. And then even when they had a surrender and were given amnesty, got to keep ships, got to make money, got to be in government positions, got to... Her husband got to be a captain in the Navy, got to do all these things, and then die peacefully with family at home. Insane. So that is her overall life. I mean, there's a lot more there if you want to look into it i just wanted to go over generally how awesome she is and the last thing i want to talk about were some references to her in pop culture because when i was looking into her i was like why do some of these things seem familiar to me i feel like i've heard 
parts of her story before, and I'm not quite sure why. So while with that in mind, I looked up some references to her. Like, how has she been mentioned in culture and pop culture today? You know, around today's times. And I found about four of them that I want to talk about. There are more, but I wanted to talk about four specifically. So the first one being is there is a book series called Bloody Jack by L.A. Meyer. I highly recommend that book series. It's about a girl who named Jackie whose parents die of an awful plague when she's 12. And normally she would just be put on the street. You know, just put on the street, figure it out, you're out of luck. So she sneaks onto a ship pretending to be a boy because she's 12. She's able to pretend that she's a boy to be a, you know, one of the crew to be like the cabin boy. And then from there, things go all over the place. There's, I guess, like nine more, like nine something books in this series. I'm actually going to start rereading the series because I think I only got to book four and then life got ahead of me. But in book eight, called The Wake of the Lorelei Lee, Jackie actually gets captured by Chingxi and impresses that pirate so much that Jackie is bestowed with a tattoo of a dragon on her neck to indicate she is under Xi's protection. So she is incorporated in this pirate book, which I think is awesome, and I also recommend the book series. It's really good. Another thing is that for any of you guys that are Pirates of the Caribbean fans, there is actually a reference to her, a, like a character that is based off of her in the At World's End movie. The character is called Mistress Ching and is portrayed as one of the pirate lords and is a powerful leader in the section of China. So based off of her, not exactly her, but a little nod to her in this pirates movie. Another thing for any of you guys that might be MMORPG fans, I am, uh, RuneScape, which has been a long running MMO. MMM, MMO, I think it took too many M's, RPG, which I've always liked, has actually created a character based off of her who is inside the game that you can play a campaign with as you do pirate stuff and they actually added more campaign from what I've looked up. Another thing is there's actually a graphic novel which I really want to read now called Afterlife which depicts her specifically as a guardian who fights demons to protect the denizens of the underworld. There are also many references to her in pop culture in China in various TV shows and various graphic novels and mangas and so forth. So there's a lot. She's had a lot of influence, even in today's culture. So before I leave today's episode, I want to mention my references because you should always mention your references. I got my information today from a little bit from Wikipedia, from history.com and howstuffworks.com, from Atlas Obscura, from various videos I found online including a documentary on HBO that I found. I'm forgetting the name at the top of my head. But all these sites have contributed to this review of her life. So if you are interested, I highly recommend Googling her. She's awesome. So I hope today was interesting to you as it was to me. And I hope you all have a very good week. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you.